0: We already started uh, uh, the first of the human space flight program, and our first of astronauts are now getting selected and going to be trained. Uh, uh, meantime, uh, to the moon, we have now developed an interest and a long term plan to sustain uh, the moon exploration has already been taken up with the government. So, definitely, we are interested, but then this is a question of priority. And with the progress that we are going to make in this, definitely, there is an opportunity for India as well.
1: Yeah. Bill Jones from Executive Intelligence Review to Administrator Bidenstein. Uh, obviously, it was clear that uh, the elephant in the room today was China, judging from all the questions that uh, we're asking, including really questions coming over the internet. And their absence, of course, was uh, was recognized by everybody is an important absence. Uh, it's also, my question, however, is with re- regard to the formulation, Vice President, of talking, uh, the United States taking the lead. Uh, together with all the freedom-loving nations of the world. Uh, obviously, uh, China is probably not included in that, but there may be other countries that are not included in that either. And my question is, uh, isn't this a significant change from how the space program has been dealt with by the United States ever since Kennedy, when his first, uh, his first uh, thought was to work together with the Soviet Union to go to the moon? They refused, and we went alone. But ever since then, there was an attempt to use space as, uh, as a means of bringing countries together, not of separating them. But the formulations of the Vice President today were pretty strident in many people's yeah. ears, and I was wondering, is that a shift in policy now, and what would uh, the United States be willing to work with China on? Have we gone a step further from the Wolf Amendment now? We're not gonna work with them at all in space, or what does that, this actually mean?
2: So your, your point on the Wolf Amendment is, is right on. Uh, we are prohibited by law from working with China in a bilateral sense on space exploration by the Wolf Amendment, which every year gets uh, reappropriated in an appropriations bill. Um, as far as um, cooperation in space, I think uh, space does represent that unique opportunity to bring nations together that historically don't come together. Um, I I would tell you uh, I'm I'm sharing this stage with Russia, and there is no doubt uh, we are aware that um, we have terrestrial disputes that are very clear and transparent, everybody sees them, but when it comes to cooperation on the International Space Station, our relationship is very, very strong. It has been strong, and we want to keep it strong, and of course we would like to um, extend it even further. So all of this I think is what's unique about space. I would also say um, that uh, when we think about the future, um, we do need to be careful about um, things like the theft of intellectual property. We need to be careful about um, the um, you know how, how we go about uh, bringing new partners in that ultimately could be more harmful than helpful in the future. Um, and I think uh, that's probably what the vice president was referencing in his speech today.
3: Hi, um, I'm Irene Thomas with Aviation Week in Space Technology. Um, for uh, every, all the um, agencies aside from the United States, I'm familiar with our position, but what is the um, what is the balance between requests to continue funding of ISS past uh, 2024 with the desire to move into deep space, human exploration? And also for um, uh, for Mr. Rikula, um what's the status of the launch of the uh, MLM to the ISS?
2: Thanks. So, yeah, let
4: me uh, start. No okay. um, I will start from uh, from there. MLM is going to be launched at the end of next year, and the beginning of next year it's going to be delivered to Baikonur for final test and preparation. Uh, as for uh, compromise between uh, ISS and future exploration, uh, for sure, we are not going to abandon Volodotropia. Uh, and we were estimating what, what is the most efficient way to stay for Volodotropia. And we have several projects like free fire modules, we have, use, we have uh, uh, thoughts about uh, separate Russian built stations, but are looking through all different options, we found that uh, continuing what we are using now is not efficient. So ISS is a great asset. We spend a lot of efforts and uh, time and uh, expertise to build it together. And actually, I think it's a really uh, remarkable result. That. Not only technically, but organizationally. We learn how to work together, how to work together. And I think uh, at this point, uh, if we're going to stay on board the project, the uh, ISS is going to do it. So, but it doesn't prohibit us from further exploration. We are trying to do exploration as much as possible, and uh, as I said, we are trying to determine uh, the uh, scale of our uh, participation
5: in the exploration, but we are going to participate, for sure. So we are proposing to, well, I am proposing to the states of ISA in five weeks' time uh, what we call the uh, European uh, Exploration Endular Program. And this endular program covers uh, several areas. It covers the ISS as well as the uh, Gateway. So we, are, we, are, we don't think that it's either-or. Um, it's uh, exactly what uh, Sergei said we need both. We need lower Earth orbit uh, uh, microgravity research for many purposes. And of course, the ISS has a geopolitical value, which we should not underestimate. And therefore, uh, we believe we should continue that. There, there will be an end of uh, ISS at a certain point, and uh, we are thinking about that as well. First of all, we need lower orbit experiments even afterwards. But at the same time, we need also joint activities because the geopolitical value is so high. So, therefore, at this time, we don't see either or, but both. And uh, we are looking to
3: the future to see how it develops. Um, can I, can I say something? Uh, I think uh, the international. Uh, exploration program is not to abandon <coughs> ISS or not to abandon uh, the, the, not the Leo region, but to expand the boundary of uh, the kind of activity to from Leo to, uh, to the whole of the system. The same kind of discussion is happening right now in Japan, the balance between ISS and the uh, but uh, anyway, the importance, the value of the wheel will not change. So we will have to uh, be at the low Earth orbit. But the, the players will be che- might be changed because uh, not only uh, government, but also m- many more private sectors will join us. And the other thing is that the uh, ISS and uh, uh, beyond ISS anyway, that area can be used for the innovation. For the future uh, exploration on Earth, uh, on the moon. And I, I,
2: I, would, I would say, did Kriglov, did you have something else? Or I should say I
4: just uh, want to add a little bit that uh, ISS is yes. uh, exploration because we have a lot of uh, activities on ISS now uh, that is working for, for
2: some experiments, some tests, and that's part of the exploration process. I think one thing that all of us on this stage need to be considering all the time is what comes next. Because I don't think any of us want to see a day when we don't have humans as well recorded. And right now the International Space Station is that capability. Um, And all of our nations working together for over 20 years, um, maybe some additional partners in the future, um, we've been able to to keep that going. Um, Here's what's important to note though, and I think Jan mentioned this just a few seconds ago. Um, we know it can't last forever. Um, how long can it last, um, we, we still don't know. Uh, it's looking good right now, but we know it can't last forever. So we need to be thinking today about what comes next. And I think there's two lines of effort that are going to make a big difference. One is industrialized biomedicine. So right now, we, we, the United States segment, we are using the International Space Station, and I know our partners are as well. To, 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 to work on two specific lines of effort. One is industrialized biomedicine, the other one is advanced materials. So when it comes to compounding of pharmaceuticals or creating um, immunizations, um, these are capabilities that will be transformational for humankind here on Earth. Um, when we talk about creating, right now we're trying to prove that we can create human tissue in three dimensions on the International Space Station in a way you cannot do in the ground below. uh, the tissue would just go flat. In other words, we're trying to prove that we can print in 3D human organs on the International Space Station. Again, what we're trying to do is use the International Space Station for those transformational capabilities here on Earth that ultimately will result in capital flows going into habitation in low-Earth orbit, the commercialization of habitation of low-Earth orbit. That has to be the goal if we're going to keep a 1.0 presence of human habitation in low-Earth orbit. In order to achieve achieve that, um, we're gonna have to have commercial resupply be successful, which it already has been. We're gonna have to have commercial crew be successful, which it's about to be, knocking on wood. And, And of course, we're gonna need commercial habitation. Now NASA will always have a presence in low Earth orbit, but we wanna be the customer. We wanna be one customer of many customers, and we wanna have numerous providers that are competing on cost and innovation. And of course we want to be there with international partners and we want our international partners to also have commercial capabilities in low earth orbit as well. So I think there is a robust marketplace and I think we're, we're really about three to seven years away from just one significant breakthrough that will result in capital flows that will be significant enough to, uh, to, to have you know, a, a, a capability after the International Space Station. But we've got to make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact. Um, we, we, we had a gap here in the United States of America um, after Apollo and before Space Shuttle. We had a gap in human space flight. And then we had a gap after the shuttle and now before commercial crew. We've had a gap in our access to space, even though we've been able to partner with, with Russia with their Soyuz rocket, which has proven to be just an amazing capability. Um, so, we've got to make sure that we don't create those gaps in the future, and that's what we're working on on our
0: side. Um, David Todd, Space Intelligence. Um, it's been suggested that you don't need Gateway to do a quick launch to. to, to I mean, you could use a two launch strategy using a converted Falcon Heavy and the SLS. Um, did you, have you done any uh, analysis of that? And secondly, um, and why did you reject it? And secondly, um, could you convert. The gateway into a Earth station, a low Earth orbit station. So
2: the second question is yes, the gateway could certainly be used in low Earth orbit. There's no question about that, um, and. we could have a dozen of them if if we wanted to so there's capability there and of course one of the reasons that we are interested in our international partners joining us on gateway is maybe there would be an opportunity there in the future as well although i'm not committing to that nor do my asking our international partners to commit to that at this time it's just an idea out there um so the answer there would be yes when when we consider um What was your first question? Oh, about going direct to the moon rather than using the gateway. Um, So here's the thing, we have the SLS rocket, which is, I would say it's on the five yard line about to be punched into the end zone. It'll be coming out of the Michoud Assembly facility here uh, at the end of the year. We're gonna green run test it. And then here's the thing, it will be qualified for human space flight on day one. That's a big deal, qualified in every component, every subcomponent. it will be a qualified rocket for human space flight on day one. Same with the Orion crew capsule. It will be qualified for human space flight on day one. The Orion crew capsule is now complete. European service module is now complete. They are mated and they are heading up to uh, the Glenn Research Center for testing. So. The goal, remember what the goal is. The goal is to get humans to the moon within five years. In order to achieve that, we need to take advantage of the capabilities that currently exist. SLS and Orion are those capabilities. Now here's the challenge. With, the, with the, the SLS rocket, the European Service Module, we do not have enough Delta V to get into low lunar orbit and out of low lunar orbit. So we need to find more Delta V. In other words, we've got to find more energy. Where do we find that? We find that at the Gateway, which is why we've accelerated the development of the Gateway. The Gateway is a command module, a command and service module, in orbit around the Moon permanently, in what we call a near rectilinear halo orbit, where it can stay forever, almost forever, uh, without much power required. Now that is a distant orbit from the surface of the Moon. That means we have to be able to transfer from that distant orbit where it's balanced between Earth's gravity well and the Moon's gravity well. We have to transfer from the near rectilinear halo orbit down to low lunar orbit. Then we have to land on the Moon and then we have to be able to have an ascent module that can go from the surface of the Moon back to the Gateway. Now, um, if if we're going to go fast, we need to take advantage of the capabilities that currently exist and the capabilities that are about to exist. Um, and, and having a human-rated rocket and a human-rated spacecraft that can spend 21 days in orbit around the moon, all of those are capabilities that are unique to the SLS rocket and the Orion crew capsule. Um, that, that being said, it's also true that the Gateway brings so much more value than just speed. The key is speed. We need to get there within five years. The Gateway is the quickest way to get there. Now, I would argue also... That um, it brings so much more value than that because it has solar electric propulsion, it's maneuverable, it can go to the North Pole, it can go to the South Pole, it can have it can it it can it's open architecture so that international partners can build on it themselves with their own landing systems, with their in fact, you know, even astrophysics missions or, or other experiments that they want to do on the gateway itself, and the gateway is evolvable for the eventual mission to Mars. All of that, of course is resident uh, on the gateway. Now, um, I would also say the open architecture capability is what is an enabler. It is the enabler for commercial, and it is the enabler for international partners that allows all of us to do more than any one of us could do alone. Now, if we were to go and say, hire a private company to go direct to the moon, and that was it, then it would be a closed system um, for which uh, other partners could not join, it would be proprietary, and it would not be in the interest of the United States or our international partners. Can it be done? Yes. Do we want to go fast? Yes. If it gets us there quickest, can we use it? Yes. In fact, we put that in the broad agency announcement. It's actually in there. Um, The question is, we need it by 2026, we need whatever gets developed to be compatible with the gateway. And that's in the broad agency announcement as well. But I will tell you, what we are working on is what is in the interest of the United States of America and the coalition of nations that we are leading, um, and that is the open architecture system that is the gateway. Okay. Alex double uh, AAA,
6: senior member and, uh, and systems engineering technical committee member, as well as NASA Emeritus Dawson, the the Council. We're also running a process-only <coughs> US Canadian-Russian collaborative project on the ISS, titled as Prognostics and Health Management for Astronauts. Also, we are running a session uh, at IEEE Aerospace Conference. Okay, (laughs) it's all about collaboration. Actually, we make a distinction between collaboration and collaboration. of to working together can have the same goals. So, my question is a few years ago, Dr. Steve McLean, a former Canadian astronaut and then president of the United States Agency, resigned from his position. I was privileged to be a part of his team and would help him and his team to work on the first Canadian Russian. Uh, space, international uh, space bilateral space version, treaty to make international cooperation true, yeah. having contributed uh, many so years. Question? My question is about yeah. My question is about what is the current status of the treaty? Okay. The current status of, of what treaty? Of the bilateral treaty between Russia and Canada. Okay. And
2: the yeah. The Okay, so I'm I'm not the current status of the treaty between Russia and Canada. Uh, yeah, it's all about horizontal, international, horizontal relations, and okay. the network structure. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Okay, okay I'm not sure Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get back to you on that. Okay. Good
6: afternoon. My name is Anushka Sharma. I'm from Nort and I'm also the co-founder of the London Space Network. My question is um, around, with the Apollo 50th anniversary, the profile of Artemis and gen missions back to the moon, public interest is growing vastly. Where and how can citizens, startups and deep tech and other such organizations come together to discuss the ethical side of returning to the moon and other, other areas such as industrial scale manufacturing off Earth? This is a wonderful conversation. Um, this conference is amazing. We bring so many people across deep technology and science together, but the ethical side of this conversation is sometimes lacking. I'd love to know how we can engage a wider audience around that.
2: Thank you. That's a good question. Um, so uh, so here, here's, I think, the important thing. You mentioned the enthusiasm for Artemis. Believe me, I, I can feel it everywhere I go. And it, the Apollo 50th anniversary, Was off the charts. I mean, who knew how many the new generation? I was not alive for the Apollo 11 moon landing. I wasn't alive for you know Apollo 17 either. So I don't have any memory of those of those days. I've seen the videos and I love them. Um, But I'll tell you this: this generation, the new generation that didn't grow up with that, is so excited about going back to the moon and now going under the name of Apollo's twin sister in Greek mythology, who is the goddess of the moon. And now we go with a very diverse, highly qualified astronaut corps that includes women. I did talk about enthusiasm. Um, there, there is no shortage of it right now, and we're thrilled about all of the enthusiasm that we're getting. Um, as far as forums uh, where you can go, uh, I, would, I would encourage you to, um, I don't know. That's the Right here. Yeah, <laughs> you here. This is a pretty big yeah, yeah. forum,
4: and we have uh, hundreds of uh, reports here, so uh, we are more technical people, but I know that uh, some other technical issues can be discussed in the field of uh, this conference. Marcia Smith,
6: SpacePolicyOnline.com I'd like to turn to robotic space exploration, and I was wondering if ESA and Roscosmos could give an update on the ExoMars mission and the likelihood that it'll launch in 2020. And more broadly, since all the countries have Mars projects, either you have a spacecraft there or you're planning to send spacecraft, do you, and if so, how do you coordinate amongst yourselves to see that you're not duplicating each other and you're all working together to advance our knowledge? we start with the last one. Sometimes duplication is good for redundancy purpose, but this is not uh, what you're asking for. But sometimes
5: it's good. Sometimes it's good, uh, the for redundancy, as uh, we said before. Uh, so it's a good opportunity to give also a very special message concerning ExoMars, the Scapparelli thing. We forgot about it, uh, but I would like to uh, to recall it. Do you know that Caparelli was not 100% successful. We did not reach the surface of the of Mars in a soft way. We reached the surface, but <laughs> rather hard. And uh, this this was a very special experience for us also in Europe because I got a lot of complaints uh, from public media. It was a penetration experiment. Yes, it was a penetration experiment. Uh, but when uh, Elon Musk had his it's third trial to land on a platform in the, the sea, sea and uh, he had some was a failure, he said, rapid, unscheduled, disassembly. <laughs> <laughs> Ship is fine, minor repairs, exciting day. Can you imagine what happened <laughs> I would have said after Schiaparelli? Rapid, unscheduled, disassembly. Mars is fine, no repairs, exciting day. Be <laughs> fired. Now, there is some truth in what I am saying. We need to, to, to do some risky things, because otherwise we cannot go beyond boards. So and this is what we do. We have got all the data from Schiaparelli, and we are using it also for the next year for, the, uh, for landing a rover on the surface of uh, Mars. ExoMars has two missions, as you know. The first one is TraceGas Orbiter. It's working perfectly. We get all the information about methane. And we are exchanging data for instance also with NASA concerning uh, the measurement of methane on the surface. So this is already, it is not duplicating but it's using uh, two measurements to see what is happening with the methane on Mars. Because this is one of the big questions concerning life on Mars. So we are now planning to, and not only planning, we are working on the ExoMars 2020 mission which should be launched in uh, the summer of next year and where we would like to see whether there is some life still existing on Mars, and not on the surface, because we know there is nothing, but uh, we, are, we will drill into the surface of Mars and measure it and in, in, uh, investigate in about a, in deep, uh, depth of about two meters. And again, this is in, in, in a, as a complementary activity to other activities which happen also with insight and curiosity and so on. So yes, we are exchanging on a scientific basis. We are exchanging what is done worldwide in order not to do unnecessary duplication. And I really insist on the word of unnecessary duplications because sometimes it's good to have duplication. So um, and uh, the plan together with uh, our Russian colleagues and also NASA is part of uh, ExoMars with a smaller contribution, but it's uh, it's a challenge. But we are working very hard and still uh, my full hope is that we will have the launch in the middle of uh, 2020 and that we get some great results afterwards.
2: I would, I would say, um, Marcia, yeah. I, I would say Marcia that um, pretty much every mission that NASA does on the robotic side, on the science mission director side, it's, it's, it's always with uh, International partners. We almost don't ever at this point do anything alone, and that's very positive. And we only do that because we work with our partners on what would be in their interest to achieve as we work on what's in our interest to achieve. But also, like Jan said, um, regardless, we share all the data. Uh, this is scientific knowledge on another world, namely Mars. We share it uh, and we share it for free. Yeah. Um, so I can even say uh, something about some
5: sharing knowledge. because. We had some issue with the power as you might know, and therefore we have you no know, very clear and uh, open interaction with uh, NASA people uh, to see uh, to, to verify this issue. So this is more than just data
2: exchange; it's also knowledge exchange. Uh, absolutely, and, and I would also like to, you know, he mentioned the um, rapid unplanned disassembly, um, which I think is a great way of framing it. Um, that's a unique capability that SpaceX brings. Um, and it's, it's, not, it's, 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 it's unique in the sense that that's not the way NASA traditionally operates. Um, and, and so the idea that you can rapidly iterate, test, and basically the, the way they do things at SpaceX, they, they, they fly, they test, and they fix. Fly, test, fix, fly, test, fix, fly, test, fix. They do it over and over again until they get to a really good solution. Whereas the way NASA traditionally does things is much slower and more deliberate, where we are qualifying every subcomponent and then every component and then uh, putting it together and then by the time the rocket is complete, it is a fully qualified vehicle. That's, that's a different approach. Neither one of them is right, neither one of them is wrong. But I think what, what SpaceX has done is they have not just forced um, ESA to think differently, maybe Europe to, to, to think differently, they have forced the United States of America to think differently in a very positive way. Now, again, I'm not saying that one is right and one is wrong, um, but the, the approach is very different. It's much more of a Silicon Valley approach, less of a government approach. Um, and yet, it, it, it works. And, and we're seeing that now with commercial resupply, and very shortly, I think we'll see it with commercial proof. What I'm trying to get at is that India, the US, Japan, Russia, Europe sit down together and say what well, we
6: really need to know about Mars and gas is this. Yes. Science,
5: the scientists are doing it. The scientists are really their own community and they exchange this information and so on. We just provide service. Yes.
2: So, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so at a working level. Those those conversations
3: are being had all the time. In fact,
2: they're being had here at this conference and we will be we will be
3: seeing the reports of it the, new, the Every scientific and robotic mission is our international.
6: Hi, uh mm-hmm. with the University
1: of my question is that given the discussion at this conference um, about how basically there's gonna be a lot of space agencies moving towards the moon and Mars in the next decade, um, is there any discussion of an international agreement or collaboration of some sort that might establish a clear planetary protection standard for space variant, such as the ones on this panel? Please, please I uh, well,
3: for example, uh, Texas is right now is planning a mission not to Mars itself, but to Mars and Moon and, uh, I mean, focus of Davos. And, uh, and that is a sample return mission, so that we have to uh, uh, abide by the, the rule for planetary protection. And uh, just recently, we have uh, submitted an uh, idea to clear or maybe new about the planetary protection from Mars, Martian Moon, and uh, the forum for that is COSPAR, which is the international forum for scientific uh, advocacy of science, and uh, that kind of discussion is going on right now. I would I would add to that, um, you know, the,
2: the the Outer Space Treaty, which uh, we all on this panel have agreed to. Um, says that that none of us are are going to harmfully contaminate another world or celestial body Um, and so we do want to absolutely prevent the harmful contamination of other worlds it is also true that when we go to mars with humans which we intend to do um, when we go to mars with humans by definition um, there will be contamination we as humans we will we will leave um, our uh, microbes behind and some people would say that that is harmful contamination and, and what we need to figure out ultimately is what contamination is harmful and what contamination is, um, is not harmful. And I think that's a definition that we're going to have to work through um, as each of our agencies put together um, plans to go to Mars because ultimately we all want to go to Mars and that would be a significant achievement in, in, human, in the history of humankind. Hi,
5: Alexey Bogdanov, three analysts to Russian Space Agency. I just wanted to ask Mr. Berlinski and Mr. Krikalev whether you are discussing uh, possible
2: uh, government financing of uh, the International Space Station beyond 2024. Yeah. So, as far as the United States of America goes, uh, I know there is a bill in the U.S. House and a bill in the United States Senate. Um, that would extend the ISS to the year 23rd. Um, and I think there's support for both of those bills. Uh, and so, I, now, you know, whether or not they pass, I don't know, it's above my pay grade, but I can tell you there is definitely interest in that, um, in the House and in the Senate here in the United States.
4: And on Russia's side, uh, we also work with uh, technical world actually to see that uh, extension of lifetime uh, of ISS is possible And on one hand and second we work with uh, our government to have approval for um, future financing this project. So it's the same everyone finance each side themselves uh, but we are of course working in agreement uh, to, to extend lifetime of the station.
5: Antoine Manier, Space Exploration. One question for, for Mr. Bredenbeek. They have doing uh, extremely well for the first Artemis mission. But what about the human lander? Uh, do you have a timeline for the, the maiden flight? And uh,
2: do you consider other options like the Blue regime? So our goal is is to have humans uh, landing on the surface of the moon within five years. Um, And so we're looking at a date of 2024, that is the objective. Um, And what we have done is we've put out a broad agency announcement to American industry to have them, so we're not, history says that NASA would create thousands and thousands and thousands of requirements, basically design the spacecraft by requirement and then have industry propose how they're going to achieve that design. That is not how we're doing it this time. We're leaving it to industry to share with us how they would like to do it. Um, And we would be interested in what their investment level would be because we would like to see a day when uh, they have customers that are not NASA. And so um, right now we're in a blackout period on the broad agency announcement as far as who's proposing what. Um, but I would say that there is a lot of interest and depending on what comes back from industry, um, there may, there may be, uh, uncrewed launches to the moon, uh, that would, I should say landers that go to the moon uncrewed ahead of the 2024 date. I'll be honest, I don't know. Um, so, but, but, but the key is what our objective is, is to land, um, You know the the next man and the first woman on the south pole of the moon in 2024. That is the objective. Um, And until 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 we and then so we're sticking to that uh, unless the budgets don't materialize. But I do think that they will materialize. Five years again. Okay. that's Last question. I'll I'll answer later. Thank you very much. I'm Tarik with Space.com. and. Uh, my question is for uh, Mr. Nikolov and um, the gentleman from uh, ISRO. Uh, you touched earlier on the development of new crew vehicles for uh, future uh, cooperation with the other countries here as well as for your own national space engineering. I'm curious where that next generation crew vehicle is in development for Roscosmos as well as for Istro uh, for your first astronaut.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, on the crew vehicle, uh, we are currently in the design phase. Uh, this is a crew vehicle which is capable of carrying three crew <laughs> and then uh, bring back uh, with the landing in the sea with parachute assist. That's the design. Uh, we have already completed its initial phase study. We also completed the first of the crew escape system demonstration test. Uh, currently, the uh, one which is a pressurized compartment. Manufacturing options are being studied. Uh, and we are also looking at uh, various collaborations and cooperation with other agencies to acquire some of the technical aspects of it. And also large-scale testing uh, is also planned. Uh, and uh, development of test flights for abort conditions are already scheduled from next year onwards. So we'll be conducting various abort missions uh, with using a new rocket, which is a liquid propellant rocket is currently uh, being ready to conduct uh, four of those abort missions. And we are planning to have uh, the first unmanned mission by January, December, January of 2020 itself using the GSLV Mark III rocket. So that's the plan for the crew room, well, make. That's it. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know what to you, you want to know how this calculation
4: is going? It is going. Uh, we have uh, some uh, joint
2: work with uh, Russian industry, and uh, Russian industry some support for the political decision. So we will do our best. Thank you, Vlad okay. Pavlov. Uh, best wishes for success and for questions. beautiful, bright, and time,
4: for uh, uh, when do you expect a it's going
2: to be ready to buy a new contract in the United States? And if that does not happen in the final months, will you sign a new agreement, new contract with Russia to do that?
5: And is it possible that uh, no American company will be coming
4: from
2: the USF next year, for example, close contact then? So, uh, a couple of things. So, the first, the first question is: um, I I do believe that in the first part of of next year, uh, both commercial crew providers are going to have a successful launch to the International Space Station. Um, So I I would say that um, what we're doing right now is being very careful to not set a date for it, because if we set the date, um, we wanna make sure we can achieve the date. But there's a lot of testing that has to be done. Um, There is a big difference between operations. When you you think about um, the Soyuz rocket, for example, it has been in operations for a long time. Of course, it's been modified and, and of course, a lot of advancements have been made to the Soyuz rocket, but it is a rocket that has been tested, it's, it's, it's been proven, um, and the launch and work capabilities have, have been demonstrated to be very, very successful. Um, and so, those are the capabilities that, that you have when you have an operational program. What we're doing with commercial crew is still under development. Um, so, there's a number of tests coming up for both contractor Boeing and SpaceX. For Boeing, uh, we have a, a paddleboard test that's coming up and of course we have uh, some parachute tests that need to be done. Um, and then of course we have an unapproved test to the International Space Station uh, that we currently have on the books for December 17th. Um, now if all of that is successful and every all of the, everything operates within the margins that we have set, then um, I would say that in the first part of next year uh, the Boeing solution should be ready now. That will be an Atlas V rocket with a Starliner star crew capsule. Um, Atlas V, of course, being a ULA rocket, which has been you know very well proven over time. On the SpaceX side, uh, we still have a, a static fire test. We have a high altitude abort test, um, and they've actually flown to the International Space Station once on crew. So, and of course, they have a number of tests for their parachute system as well. So again, we're going to learn as we go through these tests, um, what the outcomes are and whether or not they are meeting the margins that we all agreed to on safety. Now, if, if as we go through these tests for both Boeing and SpaceX, if, if they are successful, I would say that in the first part of next year, um, we would be ready to launch uh, American astronauts on these rockets um, at the first part of next year. Um, Remember what the goal though is, and and I think this is important for us to remember. Um, We wanna always have an American astronaut on the International Space Station, and Russia always wants to have a Russian cosmonaut on the International Space Station. What that means is that even when we are successful with commercial crew, we wanna see the partnership continue. Where American astronauts continue to launch on Russian Soyuz rockets, and Russian cosmonauts can launch on commercial crew rockets here in the United States. That's how we maintain uh, a Russian presence and an American presence on the international Even space. Even in the case of failure. Even in the case of failure, that's right. Even in the case of failure. So the partnership, we are very hopeful that the partnership will continue. Now, if commercial crew is not ready in the first part of next year, um, our American astronaut would, would end up coming home in October of next year. Um, so yes, we, our, we have not had the discussion yet, but uh, people that work in our organizations have had the discussion about what it would mean if we're not ready and how would we have access to an additional uh, Soyuz seat. It's something we are definitely interested in, um, but you know, at that point, it's, it's gonna be over to, to Russia to help us negotiate how we're going to achieve that outcome because they have a schedule that they need to maintain as well. Uh, but the goal, I think, for both, na- both nations is to keep uh,
4: permanent presence of our nationals on the International Space Station. Purpose is to uh, to keep station flying, we need both astronauts on both sides of the station to be operational. Uh, as for previous contract, previous contract was extended, and that's why it's already covered till uh, uh, till mid of next year, October. If uh, and we hope that commercial vehicle will fly at that time, because after that we were planning to. Uh, return back to three uh, Russian crew members on board the station. But
3: if uh, something goes wrong, then we will see the negotiation.